0: Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today we're going to be talking about cleared recruiting metrics that matter. And I have Casey Talley, actually a dear friend of mine, who is also the Senior Talent Acquisition Lead with Mount Indy, and we're going to chat about time to hire, cost to fill, candidate pipelines, ultimately what metrics are going to help you be successful in a cleared recruiting environment. So Casey, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So yeah, Casey and I actually have worked in the recruiting trenches together. You you know, In addition to being such a dear friend of mine, we were also co-workers in the past. She was my supervisor at one of the defense contractors that I supported way back when. So uh, we have so many stories that probably are not good for a (laughs) podcast recording, but that's totally fine. I'm sure other recruiters that are listening in could relate. So, when it was a seller's market and recruiters had applicants banging down their doors, recruiting metrics, I feel like, may have not been as important. But, you know, today, in a world where there isn't enough talent for the amount of openings that we have in national security, I feel like obviously it's a different story. So, Recruiting metrics, why do you think they matter or how do they help recruiters make better informed decisions on, you know, where they spend their time?
1: Yeah, so I just think that, you know, metrics are really, like, the drive, the like roadmap for results for each individual company. And it really needs to like align with the company vision, company executives and kind of like what direction they want to go into. So for me, it's, you know, helping to measure and demonstrate the value in the recruiting team, the effectiveness of the hiring recruiting process, the cost of that return on investment and, you know, really what areas you need to tighten up on, you know, and efforts to land better qualified candidates. Than the competition because obviously it's a you know really <laughs> highly competitive market right now and and as you mentioned we don't have candidates knocking on our doors anymore so we have to do a ton of sourcing and recruiting and you know just again trying to figure out a way to make that process better and uh, do it faster
0: and I feel like you know when your head's down and you're continually sourcing and going after candidates you know the data doesn't lie and if you're not measuring that data to see what's working and what's not working then you're kind of doing the same thing that's just continually failing so but you know on the flip side metrics they can be a great way to advocate for yourself to your supervisor a hiring manager uh, a project manager that you're working with on a specific program and so if things like i filled this many positions in a certain time frame you know can help Again, at you advocate yourself as, as a good recruiter. So what metrics does your team track?
1: At Mount ND, the metrics that we are tracking are is the activity that produces results that leads to hires. So for us, we know that on an average, we like to have three submits for each opening, a minimum of three submits, which typically does lead to a hire. So we focus a lot of attention on our submit numbers at a very high level and for each each recruiter, the goal is set for two hires per month, which also kind of like to backtrack that's five submits per week, one, you know, average of one submit per day. And then if we're not getting those results, then we kind of work backwards from there. So starting at the end goal, and then working backwards, looking at, you know, how many connections we have, how many candidates we're actually speaking to and doing interviews with, looking at those numbers, if we're not hitting those high level submit numbers that we are tracking as our like top priority metric.
0: Awesome. So, uh, you know, what about for those positions? Because I mean, I remember some of the positions when a prime contractor would open it up to the team, you know, for a best athlete approach, a lot of the times those were the most terrible, hard to fill positions with just requirements that were crazy. So what about then when you don't even really have the candidate quantity to even do three submits? I mean, do you... Enlist your team for support. Like, how do how do you work from there?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question because those those are the tricky ones, right? So best athlete means you got to like kick it in and quick gear and get candidates over as quickly as possible. And sometimes that mean like means you know like one candidate is not only your only candidate, but the best candidate and that candidate can totally work out. Of course, we would love to just always be able to provide our, our government clients and you know everyone with m- multiple options. We, you know, not just one candidate, but yeah, we will get multiple recruiters involved when we have, you know, those top priorities and those like quick fills that we need to, to to provide a lot of attention to and then do the best we can, you know. So again, average of three submits per opening, but certainly, you know, even one or two is better than nothing for sure.
0: Sure. Gosh, it's, it's making me sweat thinking about those like <laughs> deadlines and not even getting one candidate submitted and just who's going to breathe down your neck.
1: For sure. And, you know, as you know, a lot of these factors are not just held for recruiting, right? So we have like hiring managers that aren't responsive or we have, because their schedules are so busy, or we have requirements that change and things of that nature. So definitely a lot falls on the recruiters as far as the responsibility of getting positions filled. But a lot of times the the reality is that it it doesn't fall only on the recruiter.
0: Sure. Yeah. So many things involved. Which, you know, that's a great segue to my next question. Each year, a clearance job surveys our recruiters because, you know, while SHRM numbers are fantastic, the clearance world in our industry is just so different. So from that data, we create the cleared recruiting guide. It's just everything that you need to know about time to hire, cost to hire, all of your other top recruiting questions when it comes to the cleared world. And so respondents in the clearance jobs 2022 survey will be providing feedback on those different metrics. It'll just give, you know, really great insight into the big picture of this niche demographic. So stay tuned for that. But time to hire, time to fill, cost per hire. Do you track those types of metrics and tell me why or why not?
1: We do not actually specifically track time to hire because like you mentioned, it was a great way to kind of have this discussion. Why my last point of 90% or more of the time, it's all the time to fill is really outside of our control as recruiters. Um, So for us, we focus more on time for each workflow. That's what matters the most for us. So how long does it Take for us to get a candidate submitted. You know, again, that was kind of like as we discussed initially. Kind of our um, biggest metric that we're tracking is that mm-hmm. you know the the results that lead to hires and and the submits. And so, you know, how long does it take to get a submit? And then from there, how long does it take for us to just get a response feedback from the hiring manager? And then from there, how long does it take? to interview that candidate and then how long does it take to get a response or a decision whether or not we're going to make an offer to this candidate. So, you know, we don't necessarily track it probably like some other companies do as far as that specific time to fill, but just tracking more of our our personal workflow process within the company.
0: Sure. Well, and that actually makes a lot more sense than sort of the bird's eye view of time to hire because then you don't necessarily know where the problem point in your workflow is, let's say if your candidates end up, a lot of your candidates end up backing out. You could pinpoint, well, it takes a million years to get feedback after they've been submitted or something of that nature.
1: Right, absolutely. And I think that that's a a really good point to make too, is that I, me personally, I've worked for a lot of different companies and, you know, it's always just like time to fill from start to finish. And so it doesn't give you the opportunity to identify to your hiring team or your executive team really where in that process things went wrong, you know, whether that's a candidate backing out or a a really long million year time to get a response from a hiring manager or the requirement changing or some things like the position just closed, the client went in a different direction of what they wanted. Um, so for us, I think that the breakdown of the workflow tracking really helps you to better determine like where the successes are and then also where things went wrong.
0: Well, so another thing I think that's changed, I mean, I I, I don't even know how long it's been since it, it has transitioned from a seller's market to a buyer's or candidate's market, But, you know, with that, candidate pipelines have become increasingly important in keeping that passive talent just warm and, you know, touching base and making sure that they still know that you're there and that, of course, you still know that they're there. So what are some important figures to note for candidate pipelines?
1: Yes, yeah, so here at Mount Andy, we call it a CQC candidate quality control, and we do it with existing, like active candidates that we are working with on active roles that we're trying to hire for. And then also for our pipeline candidates, I think pipelines are super important and beneficial. It really helps the team, you know, think beyond the current requisition and just be strategic with just being easier to fill those hard to fill roles. So for me, it's kind of like a VIP list, right? So I've got like in our applicant tracking system, I've got lists where I have our VIP list of candidates where, you know, it could be Down to like the the poly the the clearance level, or it could be specific unicorn positions that we have a really hard time hiring for, or it could be because we have you know some um, intel from one of our clients that you know we know that we've got some hires coming within the next couple of months. So I do feel like it's kind of like a lot of work up front, but essentially it spreads out the process over time, establishing these relationships with candidates to keep their interest high, to keep them engaged, and then. when it's time to hire them, they're ready to go. They know who we are. They establish these relationships with us, they trust us, and then they're ready to interview when that time comes. So especially, again, I'll just reiterate, like for these quote, unicorn, you know, roles that we have, and and those are becoming more of the reality of what we're hiring for these days, it's, you know, highly competitive market, highly competitive skills. And I just feel like the pipelines are important to be able to react quickly on those positions when we do have the open ends come up.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I won't note the name here, but when we were co-workers, actually, one of our employees from that company continued to be a candidate on my pipeline list up until, you know, I left being the industry, being a recruiter in the industry. So, I mean, that's years you need to keep these relationships. Years.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, that's exactly how I, and you know, that's not with every candidate, right? But there are candidates that literally, like you continue to build a relationship, a friendship with mm-hmm. these guys and gals for a long time, for for throughout the extent of your career.
0: Well, so, and then I, I know that tools are a big part of that, you know, when you are building candidate pipeline list, ensuring that you have the recruitment marketing tools in place to make those monotonous tasks of touching base with your candidate pipelines easy. And so again, because you you didn't note that it is a lot of work up front, but it certainly pays off just because recruiting cleared candidates has unique challenges. So, you know, with the tight talent pool that we're working in today, I, it's one of the toughest verticals in the hiring business. So you need a good number of candidate sources So the number of sources a recruiter uses, what do you think is the average number? And do you think there's a reason why recruiters should track those candidate sources.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that on average I would say 3 to 4 and I would say that those are more for your like basic positions, basic average positions. So, um, you know, definitely for me personally and I know uh, all of our team here at Mountain D, we all are go-to especially for our cleared positions are always clearance jobs and then obviously utilizing our applicant tracking system as well. Obviously, when you have the more unicorn positions, you really are going to have to uncover more. So, you know, getting into networking referrals and, and just thinking outside the box of like, how, where are we going to find these people? Because they, they're wanted by everybody. Their resumes are not on these job boards. Like where do we find them? So then you have to think outside the box there and really get creative. But, you know, as far as tracking them, you know, job boards are not cheap, but they're essential to us in the industry for, you know, recruiting clear candidates or recruiting candidates at all. So for me, I think that they're big business decisions and, when you're considering like the return and in investment on whether wh- what's working and what's not. So where are we getting the most results for? And are we paying for a source that we're not really getting results on? So I think that there's, you know, a lot of value in, you know, narrowing down like what's, what's working for us and what's not. And that's why it's so important.
0: Sure. Well, in d- digging down into that data, super important, but the other part of the story is to make sure that you have the full story is that you you want to be sure that recruiters are using platforms correctly. For example, you know, on a LinkedIn, if you're not effectively networking, you're not going to receive any candidates from them or on clearance jobs. If you aren't fully utilizing the groups or the employer branding support that we offer, then you may not get candidates from there.
1: Agreed. And, And other companies that I've worked for, like that wasn't as important as far as just like, that being a tool that was really like focused on within the recruiting team. And here at Mount ND that is super important, like for all of the recruiters to be continuously learning. And just like you mentioned, like truly getting the most and the best out of all the tools that we're having access to.
0: Another important thing to track. So you know, kind of aside from tools that you can purchase, sort of thinking through your application process and your applicant tracking system, low application completion rates. And so this is never something that I've tracked, but I found this interesting as I was, you know, doing research before our conversation. Uh, what do you think that a low application completion rate, Jeez, that's a mouthful. <laughs> what do you think that could say about your organization's application process?
1: Well, I think that within a lot of organizations, they're just poorly designed. I think that the application process is confusing. It's very time consuming and it's just not easy. I just don't think that it is a process that really engages candidates to want to continue throughout the process. And honestly, like um, at, while preparing for our podcast, I did do some research on this myself and found that like uh, close to 75% of candidates actually back out of the application process. Cause they get halfway in or less than halfway in. They're like, well, this is this is just too much. It's confusing. I'm like doing things two or three times when I only need to do it once, and it's um, just too much. And so they back out of applying. And not to mention, as we've discussed a few times today, it's there's not an abundance of candidates that are applying anyways. It's definitely the candidates' market. So I think that when you do have candidates who are out there really job searching, when they come across these applications that are just you know really. Time consuming and confusing. They just say, "Oh, it's just not worth it." I don't want to do this forty nine times, you know.
0: Well, yeah, nothing like a USA Jobs application, you know, where you are having to multiple times upload the same information and answer the same dang questions. And you know, even though it is a candidate's market, one thing I do want to note here for recruiters is you still have a piece of the population that is very hungry in the job search, and that's transitioning military. They don't necessarily know what they're doing. They are actively seeking jobs. And I I know that they're applying to companies. So yeah, one thing you want to note is even though it is a candidate's market, you do want to make sure that your application process is still seamless. And you know, one day it could change. So you want to be ready as well.
1: Agreed. And good point there. Like sometimes that especially with our transition military members, they're not always super equipped with like, even how to really tailor resumes for certain jobs and including those keywords and just, you know, tailoring for each job they're applying for. And this is just a personal thing for me. I personally love when I can work with a transitioning military member and I can really help them. Like I will, take the time, the extra time to be like, even though this job may not work out for you, like, I want to help you get that resume built up and really, you know, answer some of those questions. Because I know that, like you said, they're hungry and they're so excited to, to, you know, be in the job market and to see what's out there for them.
0: Yeah. Well, and that adds to your, your candidate pipelines for sure. You know, this is one thing that I did track, I will say, because again, you have those positions You can sometimes speak with a ton of candidates that may have just not worked out for a single role. And it's those hard to fill roles where, you know, someone needs this much experience and analyst roles throughout their career, but they also need this random IT certification. Oh yeah, and they also have to have worked with a specific three-letter agency and, you know, a multitude of other things. And so the government might be rejecting every submittal So tracking candidates per hire. That is one thing I did. Kind of similarly, what about fill rate, and what can that tell you about the performance of each recruiter on a team?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's all about like when and where does the clock start and just having a good parameter of success for each of your recruiters. But it, it, that to me kind of goes hand in hand again, where it's like all job specific and workload specific. So like one of my recruiters could have three jobs that don't require clearance, great rates and are pretty like loose on the and and they're getting like a ton of candidates and hiring so much. And then you've got my other recruiter who is just having a difficult time because they're in a more difficult market and they have the positions that have the lower rates and have the like more strong stringent requirements. So I think that that's another one, another interesting metric to keep an eye on because one recruiter can have a a pretty low fill rate and then the other one have a high one. But if you look at it bit picture, you can see why.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess that's a good nod to recruiting managers when it comes to assigning recs. Just be mindful of the location that you're assigning someone. If it's not a hub like DC the fill rate is going to be maybe a little bit lower or it's going to take them a little more time to source some qualified candidates for those that you know want to relocate
1: Yes, for sure, and I think that that that's a good point too. Is just you know the TA leaders just being able to give a balance to their team so that you know recruiters have a little bit a little bit of both sides of the world, right? So they have the harder to fill positions because they're all we're always always going to have those. But then it's so nice sometimes to just have those positions where you're like, wait, is this rate real? Like this is great. Like I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get 12 submits on this in a week. You know,
0: I feel like I haven't had one of those positions in a long time. I've I feel like that's why i I I have such a clouded, you know, view of what recruiting is, of
1: what that looks like. Yeah, I agree. They they don't come by too often, and when they do, they're too good to be true, or it seems that way.
0: Sure. Oh, man. Well, so yeah, we just talked about a ton of important metrics when it comes to the cleared recruiting world. So Casey, you know, I really appreciate you joining us on the Security Clearance Careers podcast today. But lastly, I want to hear maybe, well, I'll give you one or two of your hardest to fill positions right now. And then your one piece of advice for any recruiter in the DoD space.
1: Oh, goodness. Um, One or two. (laughs) Um, You know, I think right now, unless you want me to get super specific, I definitely, you know, our full stack developers um, and uh, some of our engineers and engineering positions are definitely harder to fill. I think, generally speaking, big picture, just candidates that want to be fully remote is definitely the challenging piece right now for all of our positions Mm -hmm. that are 100% on site right now. As far as like my advice, like, You know, you've worked with me and, you know, I'm pretty old school when it comes to like the way that I do things. But I I think it just kind of goes back to like investing in your candidates, you know, like recruiting is hard it takes, especially in this industry right now, um, it takes a lot of time and to you know to really secure, find, identify, and secure the best candidates in um, a timely manner with you know this highly competitive market. But like, if you can just set yourself apart. And make your candidates feel comfortable, get personal with them and invest in each of them as if they are for your own business, like taking ownership of your candidates as if they are working for your own personal business from start to finish. I think that I think that, that could just really set you and your company aside. I think that just investment and communication across the board is really like what it goes back to and setting yourselves aside and being a good recruiter.
0: Absolutely. Well, and that is certainly a common thing that I am hearing is you need to be able to build meaningful connections and make your candidates comfortable, especially those transitioning out of the military. They're entering a different world. And Casey, while you may be old school, you know what works for you. You are a rock star recruiter and definitely one that I always tap on for insights into the industry, but for more news on cleared recruiting and other tips and tricks, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com.